like us to take our reading from Micah chapter 5. So the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, and as you're trying to find your way to Micah, because it's not the easiest one to find, just to say that this was most likely the word from the Lord that was received by God's prophet Micah somewhere around about the year 700 BC. And the situation in the region of Israel at that time is that most likely Israel, the northern nation, has already been overrun by the Assyrians and has been destroyed and decimated and its people have been carted off into various other regions. The Assyrians then come for the southern kingdom of Judah and take most of the if not all of the major fortified cities, but not Jerusalem, though they come and they besiege Jerusalem. And it might well have been that in that context of that threat that was facing the people from the Assyrians, that the prophecy that was given to Micah, which seems to have spanned through, the, through three kings of Judah, was given but I wonder if this section in particular was given around about that time whenever things were most sharp with the Assyrians threatening Jerusalem itself Micah chapter 5 verse 1 this is the word of the Lord to his people through Micah says marshal your troops now city of troops for a siege is laid against us They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites reference to the one we thought of in verse 2 verse 4 says he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth And he will be our shalom, our peace. It was only by the working of God that Hezekiah the king of Judah in Jerusalem and the people who were housed up in the fortified city were able to withstand by faith the threat that was being posed by the Assyrians under the commander Sennacherib. It was only because God had said through the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah that Sennacherib is not going to come into this city. He's not going to take this place. He'll turn around and go back to his own place in Assyria. Micah is not so explicit in what he receives from God to say the same thing. But there are hints of it through the earlier chapters before chapter 5. But it was only 
Because God in his mercy was working out his purposes in history and for his people. That Sennacherib with all of his great army that had really destroyed everything before them to this point were defeated and turned and went back to Assyria. Hezekiah and the people were saved. God had said that what was happening particularly to the northern kingdom and to the cities of Judah was as a consequence of Israel's repeated sin through all of its history. And that because of what's described in the previous chapters as their wickedness and their rebellion and their sin, that God's judgment and punishment and his wrath must come. But all throughout the book of Micah, there keeps coming round this promise that God is going to do something for a group of his people because of his mercy that will be for his glory and for their good. The people in chapter 3 of Micah were told had got to the point of being engaged in so much wickedness and sin that God detested them and they claimed because they were Israel and that they had the temple of God in Jerusalem they claimed even while they were carrying on in their wickedness and their rebellion they said isn't is the Lord not in our midst catastrophe is not going to come upon us the arrogance of people who thought that God wasn't going to bring any catastrophe on them for a period of time God would preserve the people of Jerusalem but in chapter 4 of Micah we're introduced to another force that is going to come which is greater than Assyria it's the Babylonians and God says they're going to destroy Jerusalem because of your sin judgment must come the wrath of God must come but people seem to carry on and claim that they had some knowledge of God that would be enough to preserve them from catastrophe. Doesn't that sound so similar to our world today? Micah chapter 4 thankfully tells us that the mountain of the Lord, which was Zion or Jerusalem and that whole mountain region, was going to become the most prominent place on the earth. And there's a promise that peoples from all nations will flock to that place. Because they want to know the ways of the Lord. And they want to live God's way. Rather than their own way or the way of the nations. Of course that's what God wants for everyone. He wants for us to live in the way that he has said is the way to live. And not in wickedness and rebellion and sin. So there's a description in chapter 4 before we get to chapter 5 here of this glorious condition where this mountain will be the focal point of the whole earth. And it speaks of how the whole of this world will be transformed in that time. So it must be a time yet future because the world has not been transformed in this way. And that the weapons of war will be changed into weapons for farming not weapons for farming instruments for farming and 
There's not going to be any conflict or warfare anymore. We're longing for that, aren't we? But God has promised it's coming. And it is coming. And that description in the face of promised judgment for sin that must come because God is holy and righteous. God yet promises glorious conditions of peace and prosperity for those who will live his way and trust in him. And the rescue of Hezekiah and Jerusalem in that time was, was a little picture of that. Trust in the Lord and God will do remarkable things for you. And then we come to Micah chapter 5. And we read that the troops are marshalled around the city or in siege. And the troops of the city can be marshalled but actually can't withstand. I think verse 1 is a reference to eventually when Babylon will come in and will strike Zedekiah the king. And the city will be overthrown. Judgment, the wrath of God must come for sin. But then shining out of that come verses 2 and 3 and 4. God has described a world in which peace will prevail. And the focal point will be the place where God is in Jerusalem. But then he goes on to describe here how such a world can come about. Bethlehem. You're small among the clans of Judah. Not big enough to be listed in the uh, towns and cities in the allocations of the tribes whenever they first took possession of this land. A small, insignificant place. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. God is the one who is sovereign in working out his purposes that his mercy and his grace might be known by those who trust in him. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. And just to see how God works he worked in a great way through the faith of the people of Hezekiah and others that Sennacherib and his army would, would be defeated and would go away. You come to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. God is sovereign and in absolute control. He has promised to David, King David, the great King David, that one of his descendants will be a great king who will have an eternal kingdom. And the people of God all down their history were waiting for that king to arise. 
And it's almost as if God goes the extra mile. Not just would Jesus be a descendant in the line of David through Joseph and Mary. But he would actually be born in the place that was the town of David in Bethlehem. And we see the sovereign God who so orders the affairs of the nations internationally. To bring about a decision for the greatest man on earth, Caesar Augustus, that would result in Mary and Joseph leaving their place of residence up in Nazareth and travelling to Bethlehem because that was the ancestral home. And they go there and while they're there, the baby that has been conceived by the Holy Spirit The miracle of God the Son taking on human flesh. He is born. God is sovereign over all things. Even over the decisions. And the instructions of Caesar Augustus. Look at what it says back in Micah chapter 5. This one who is born there. As we learn from Luke 2. He will be one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Here's the link back to David, the great king. And the promise made centuries before, 2 Samuel 7, if you have the time and you're making notes, go and look at it. God's promise to David, one of your sons will sit on the throne over my people forever. The origin of that was... Yes, centuries before this prophecy was given, but also it was settled in the eternal purposes of God before anything that we know existed outside of God himself. It's remarkable, isn't it? But notice then, let's go down to verse 4. This one who will be God's ruler, who comes from him and for him to rule over his people, He will stand and shepherd the flock. That's a wonderful phrase. And the language that is used keeps recurring throughout scripture. That God has a flock. Those who are his sheep. That he cares for. And here is the king raised up for them. This is the one that we know as Jesus. The Messiah. He is the son of David. Romans chapter 1. He's born in Bethlehem. As if to just reinforce that for us. And remember when the Magi came to Herod. An Edomite king ruling over Palestine at the time. And he said well where's the Messiah to be born? They they went and turned to Micah chapter 5. We read of that in Matthew 2. This one that is of the line of David comes from Bethlehem he is the one who will stand and shepherd the flock those that are God's sheep he is the one who in John 10 we love the words where he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and goes on to say I lay down my life for the sheep so yes he will stand and he will shepherd the flock how does he do that if you read on in verse 4 in the strength of the Lord Now some of the kings of Judah had tried to rule in the strength of the Lord but most of them had failed because like us 
they fail in their trust in the Lord. But the Lord Jesus never failed in any of that. He is the one who today rules and will forever rule in the strength of the Lord. No sin in him and in his life. No failure to trust God and what God has declared will happen. He will rule and shepherd his flock in the name of the Lord. But also, the next phrase, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. Peter writes in his letter that he saw the majesty of God when Jesus was transformed before them on the mountain one day. This is the one that we say is our king. The shepherd king of the flock of God. The one who has laid down his life for the sheep. So that forgiveness might come to those whom God sets his mercy on. Because in his mercy and in his grace, he says, I give it to you. And this one will be your saviour and this one will be your king. Verse 4 then carries on, says that they, that's the flock of God. Those sheep who know him and he knows them. It says that they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. The greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ reaches to the ends of the earth already. But what is envisioned here in coupling it with um, chapter 4 is a time when Christ, who has promised to return, will reign on this earth. And beyond that, into the new heavens and the new earth, when God himself will be present on the earth in that new creation, he will rule and he will reign. And those who are his will live securely. And his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. What conditions those who trust in God the Saviour who has provided this great shepherd king, the one who laid down his life for the sheep, what wonderful conditions lie ahead but also can be claimed now. That's why we're getting to the opening phrase of verse 5. If you're reading in the NIV, they've made a, a, a paragraph break, I think, the end of chapter 4 into chapter 5 or in, sorry the end of verse 4 into verse 5 most other translations take the Hebrew and see that the first line of chapter 5 in the NIV is actually the concluding line of the previous paragraph and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he is peace is what the Hebrew says he is peace you know, this new world order that humanity would love for but cannot achieve in its own strength or wisdom and that's been proven down the centuries can only be achieved through the rule and the reign of this glorious shepherd king who will shepherd the flock of God. All those for whom he has laid down his life in the strength of the Lord and in his majesty who will be great to the ends of the earth this one from Bethlehem. He's the one who is Shalom. Peace is not just as we quite often understand it, the absence of conflict. But Shalom 
in the Hebrew sense, it was a greeting. It was that greeting that was used because you longed to know the wholeness of life and the prosperity of life that God had said would come to those who were in peace with him and in peace with others. That brings us to the fundamental issue here of how can we know that he is peace? And how can we know a world and a life in which that sort of wholeness is a reality. The fundamental issue to begin with has to be peace with God, our maker and our redeemer. And as sinners, those who are wicked and rebellious and sinful, just like Israel were described, it comes across to us because we're all sinners. We're worthy, justifiably so, of the wrath of God. But yet in his mercy, he has provided this one from Bethlehem. The shepherd of the flock who laid down his life for the sheep. Paul says in the letter to the church in Colossae, that it was through Christ that God would reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. And Paul goes on to say to the people who were hearing that, you were alienated and hostile in your minds and in your actions. That's what you were. But yet God has now reconciled you to him through Christ the Saviour, having made peace through his cross. We've heard recently Romans chapter 5, Verse 1, having been justified by faith. That's in the eyes of God. Don't worry about everybody else. It's about our position before God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is peace. He is that wholeness that people long for. He himself is our peace. As Paul says elsewhere. And we know him as that. If we trust that he is the one who has achieved peace. For those who are hostile to God. What a wonderful God we have. While enemies we were reconciled through the death of his son. I want us to finish with Hebrews chapter 13. It is faith that brings us into the reality of the hope of a whole new world order that is coming and is only going to come through the rule and reign of Christ. But also that we can take hold of now by faith. We can know peace with God. And in knowing peace with God, the fundamental issue first, knowing sins forgiven because Christ has suffered the death that was due to us and has been raised to life for us. In knowing him, then we can enter into a life where we embrace the peace that he brings. Hebrews 13, verse 20, says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see the link? Of course it's there throughout the scriptures. The God of peace, who has worked to nullify that hostility between sinners and him by providing the Saviour, the one born in Bethlehem, the great shepherd king who will rule in the strength and the majesty of God. He has raised him from the dead because his sacrifice has achieved everything that God had eternally planned that might bring his mercy and his grace to his sheep, to those who trust in him. This is the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought him back from the dead. Our Lord Jesus, the one we acknowledge in our hearts and in our lives as Lord. This Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And knowing him as that brings us into peace. But more than that, you notice where the writer of Hebrews carries on. It's a prayer really, the writer of Hebrews, that in knowing this peace with God, that then enables us to live in the peace of God and experience the repeated peace of God that comes to us. And it's described as a peace that passes all understanding in our circumstances. To live that way means that we make a difference in this world here and now. So that's why the writer of Hebrews prays that may the God of peace equip you, verse 21, with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Glorious Saviour, born in Bethlehem, died on the cross outside Jerusalem, raised to the, the glorious heights of heaven, who is coming one day to establish his earthly rule and reign, can rule in the hearts of his people now, those who trust him. And he will do a work through us, who volunteer to give our lives to live the way he did. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. Notice the Lord didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who make a difference in this world are those who live under the authority of the great Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, who has been provided to bring us into a peace relationship with God and all of that wholeness that is guaranteed for eternity so that then we might share it with others too. Peacemakers are those that speak so that peace might come. And if the fundamental issue that is needed in this world is that sinners are reconciled to a holy God, then we will speak, will we not, in the run-up to Christmas with all of the opportunities that are afforded to us. We will speak of him. This one who came from the insignificant little place so that God's purposes might be seen in all of their glory so that he might gather to himself his flock shepherded by him for eternity in the peace and the wholeness of that shalom it's not just for us it's for everybody out there too let's pray